Welcome to the Gospel in Lagos, the sermon podcast of City Church. City Church is a community of worshippers and mission. We exist to catalyze a gospel-centered movement that renews Lagos spiritually, socially, and culturally. You can find out more about us at www.citychurchlagos.com. City Church, love Jesus, love people, love Lagos. The Bible reading is from the book of Acts, um, chapter 11, verses 11 to 30. Um, when I end, I will say this is the word of the Lord, and you to respond with thanks be to God. Now those who had been scattered by the persecution um, that broke out when Stephen was killed, traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word only among Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyrus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greece also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hands was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. News of this reached the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw what the grace of God had done, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. And for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. During this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch, one of them named Agabus, stood up and through the Holy Spirit predicted that a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world. This happened during the reign of Claudius. The disciples, as each one was able, decided to provide help for the brothers and sisters living in Judea. This they did, sending their gifts to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, everyone. It's good to see us all again. Let's just um, pray together as we start. Speak, O Lord, till your church is built and the earth is filled with your glory. Lord, we are desirous to hear from you this morning. We don't want to hear from Emmanuel. We want to hear from you. So, Lord, speak to us and let our faith be encouraged in Jesus' name. So, we have, um, last week we started a new series called Charismata. Um, now we speak in Greek in this church, and that was our attempt to teach you some Greek. No, so charismata is um, it's a word in Greek from 1 Corinthians 12 that means gifts of grace. So charismata is plural for charisma. Some of us may have heard of charisma, and charisma means gifts. So charismata means gifts of grace. And the idea really is just to, as a church, stir our hearts to um, begin to seek more the gifts of the Holy Spirit. I know we live in a culture and a city where people have abused the gifts. And so some of us have, you know, like those things, we don't have anything to do with them. But rather what the Bible calls us to is not to be on the extreme. Yes, not to abuse the gifts. But it's also possible to um, see the abuses in society, see the abuses in our city, and then refuse to have anything to do with the gifts at all. And I like what someone, a, a theologian named D.A. Carson said. He said, it is no less dangerous, right? So 
the other extreme abuse, the other extreme of crazy Pentecostals and crazy charismatic snake handlers. That's a, that's a dangerous path. It says, it is no less dangerous not to pant after God at all and to be satisfied with a merely creedal Christianity that is complacent, orthodox, but ossified. That's hard. Sound doctrine, but soundly asleep. And what we don't want to do in this church is to be the kind of church that says, no, we don't want to be the crazy snake handlers. We don't want to be the place where everybody is just speaking in tongues and is like, what is happening here? But we also don't want to be the kind of place where we don't have any place for the manifestation of the Holy Spirit. And so we have taken some of the gifts, like Pastor Femi said during the announcement this morning. Um, we find the Bible talks about the gifts in three main passages, Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, and 1 Peter 4. And we have taken some of them, some of them extraordinary, some of them not so extraordinary, but all of them supernatural. And we're deciding to look at them um, over the next seven or so weeks. And so Dami started us off last week with the gift of healing and miracles. And my apologies. Thank you. And so today we'll be looking at a gift or two gifts in Romans 12. Let me just give us a background. So Romans 12, verse 6 and 8, Paul says, We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. And he lists some. And then he says, If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If, it's to give, if it is given, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. And so we'll be looking at the gifts of encouragement and mercy. And some of us may be thinking, hmm, are they gifts? I thought we're all meant to encourage one another. I thought we're all meant to be merciful to people. That's true. But the Bible also points to them as gifts, as things that we are meant to be, or some of us are meant to be exemplary in. Um, so just take healing, for example, that we talked about last week. The Bible calls on us to actually ask God for things. So in, in James chapter 4, Paul, um, um, James says that the reason why people don't have answers to prayer is because they aren't asking God. And so he says in chapter 5 that if anyone is sick, get the elders together and let them pray. Right? So Christians are meant to be people who are asking God for things, asking God for healing. Um, but we also see in 1 Corinthians 12 that the gift of healing is listed there as something that God gives to some of us in the church for the building up of the body. And so... Yes, we should all be people who encourage people. We should all be people who uh, show mercy. But we should also seek to be people who are exemplary in manifesting the gifts of encouragement and mercy. So what we'll find today at the end, hopefully by God's grace, is that God gives the gift of encouragement and mercy to his church so that we can be built up and so that we can flourish. And so we'll be looking at encouragement and mercy in a sermon titled encouragement and mercy. Um, and we'll do so under three headings. Ultimate encouragement, supernatural encouragement. No, I'm joking. Three headings. One, the son of encouragement to the people of mercy, and three, the God of grace. The son of encouragement, the people of mercy, and the God of grace. The first one. Now, the start of this um, passage today, we have, we're introduced to something very interesting. So if, you've, if you're familiar with the trajectory of the book of Acts, the Holy Spirit falls in chapter 2. Um, a lot of things happen. The church is growing. Great things are happening. But then very shortly, 
persecution comes in. And so by the time you get to chapter 7, chapter 8, Stephen is killed. Uh, persecution is unleashed on the church. And people scatter to different places. And it seems very quickly that um, um, this Jesus project, this new church that Jesus is starting, is, is at risk, is at risk of failing. Um, the, the passage actually tells us, where we read this morning, it says that, that many of people actually left the church in Jerusalem. They went to different places in, in other parts of the Roman Empire. And the persecution is so severe that if you are a Christian at this time in the Roman world, you are not feeling Christian or your taxpayer form. You are not hanging, um, I belong to Jesus, on, my, on your car sticker. You are, you are trying as much as possible to stay away and to hide your identity. And it seems like the church is going to die. But we're told that people leave Jerusalem and they go to other places. They go to Cyrene, they go to Phoenicia, they go to Cyprus. It's the equivalent of people who are being persecuted, who live in Lorraine, and they go and evangelize in Ijebode, in Ijebode, in Ijebode. <laughs> I just had to drop that there. Those of us, the last few weeks have been horrible in this church. And I've been thinking, like, we have to start bringing pure water and tomato to, to, to church. So that anytime somebody talks about, somebody talks about Ilori in the derogatory manner, we'll just be throwing it from the back, <laughs> hurling it. But this is the church, so, yeah. But what does he say? <laughs> what does the text tell us? It says, rather than this Christian, this new Jesus project dying, it says it begins to flourish. And we're told in verse 21 that God's hand was with them and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. Now, this is not where we are going this morning, but I think it's really important and it's, it's, uh, we should encourage one another with these great words. That we live in a time now where we are reading about sexual scandal in the church and crime. We're reading about allegations of corrupt pastors. We're reading about false gospels, and some of us know it very well, false gospels in our city. We have the oxymoron of unregenerate Christians, right? People who profess the name of Jesus Christ and are saying something else. And it can look like this Jesus project is going to be crushed. People no longer respect you know, our, the Christian ethic of what marriage is. People no longer care. It looks like there's a, there's, a, there's a time bomb on Christianity that is about to fade. But what do we find in this passage? And God is encouraging us with those words this morning. That God's hand is with his people, and people will always turn to the Lord. You can sleep on this promise. Why? Because Jesus has promised that I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And so we see in verse 26 that the church actually begins to flourish because the gospel is proclaimed. And when the gospel is being proclaimed, the church flourishes. The church will not die. But then the leaders in Jerusalem hear about the great things God is doing in Antioch, and they send a representative to go and verify. This is common. This is a common pattern. We see that uh, that's already happened in chapter 8, where... There was a similar revival in Samaria, and the apostles sent Philip as well. Um, they sent, sorry, James and John to go and verify what was going on there. And so they sent a man named Barnabas. He's not one of the 12 apostles, but he's also a very high-level leader. 
Um, we've heard about him in chapter 4, verse 32, where he sells one of his properties and he gives it to the church. And in chapter 9 as well, where he goes and introduces the person we eventually know as Paul to the, to the leaders of the church. And so what does Barnabas do when he gets to Antioch? We're told he gets there, and when he arrived, he saw, the grace, saw what the grace of God had done. He was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. So he gets there. He arrives. He sees the grace of God, and he encouraged them. And the result of that encouragement we see later on is that people were won to the Lord. And for us, that's not, that's not special. Except that the text says that he encouraged them which is a bit, um, can be a bit problematic for us because we, we, we tend to think of encouragement in one of two ways. One, we think of encouragement as a platitude. We think of encouragement as something that you say to someone in a circumstance. So you say things like, hey, yeah, I'm sorry. I'm really sad this is happening to you. Or we use the Christian version. It is well, my brother. <laughs> right, we feel like, we, we have to say something. And so we behave like Job's friends. The story of Job was going well until they started talking. And many of us are like that. We just, we just feel like we have to say something. But then for those of us that don't think of um, encouragement as a platitude, we think of encouragement as a pep talk. We think of it as, you know, the American movies where it's like there's a break in between the, 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 um, the, football, the football match or the basketball match and... The team is losing, and the coach comes and goes, guys, we can't do this. We can't do this. And many of us think of encouragement as that, like your best life now. Just believe in yourself, right? But we find that Barnabas actually does something else. And this is where we're going this morning. right? Because if we're going to be people who are gifted in encouraging, people who grow in encouraging one another as a community, we have to do three things that Barnabas does. Barnabas does three things in encouraging. He observes the grace of God. He focuses on God and he deploys the people for ministry. He observes the grace of God. He focuses on God and he deploys people for ministry. The first one, in verse 23, we are told that Barnabas sees what the grace of God had done. And friends, it might look like something that is simple, but biblical encouragement always observes how God's grace is working. Oftentimes, God's grace is not doing big, flashy things. And if that's what you are looking for, if you are looking for something big and flashy, you will miss it because God's grace is not always doing something big and flashy. Think with me. So the church in Antioch, this is several years after the Holy Spirit has come upon them in Acts chapter 2. The church in Antioch is just growing, really. There's no pastor. There's no structure. There's most likely no place for all of them to gather as a group. There's no city kids program. There's no music team. Everything is just floating around. And Barnabas could have gotten there and could have said, guys, this is a mess. We need to rent a hall. We need to look for the flyest place possible. We need to start training leaders. We need to start, and it could go on and on, thinking about the things that weren't being done there. And to make matters worse for all, the, for all the people there, he had come from the headquarters. 
could have given a bad report for them, of them rather. But what are we told? He gets there and he sees the grace of God at work. Friends, biblical encouragement always sees how God is working in people's lives. It's not, it is not looking for what isn't being done. Rather, it is looking at what God is doing, no matter how small, no matter how little. And so rather than notice a lack of a central place to gather, he sees many people who have been won to the Lord. Rather than notice a poorly organized bunch without leaders, he sees a people who can be released and unleashed for ministry. He sees people who can be effective in advancing the cause of the gospel. I remember some of the um, mission trips I went for as, as, um, as a university student. And you, you get there and you see this rural village where sometimes people are gathering under the tree. People are, people are like nothing is happening. Like the adoration time or the praise and worship time is like, my God, when is this thing going to be over? And some of us, sometimes we think, this is how we tend to think of the things happening around us. Like, what we see the things that are missing. We, we see the things that aren't being done. We see the things that are lacking in people's lives. We see the way this person isn't serving the way they are meant to serve, or the way this person isn't loving God like they are meant to love. And we don't notice how God, even though this person is still struggling with sin, is still struggling with something, by God's grace, it is no longer as frequent as it used to be. That is what biblical encouragement does. It always observes how the grace of God is working. The second thing Barnabas does is that he focuses on God. And so in verse 23, we are told that after he saw the grace of God at work in their hearts, he directed the folks at Antioch to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. And so... It's a great thing to see what God is doing. It's a great thing to see the grace of God at work. But he was saying, guys, praise God for this. But there is much more that God can still do. Fix your gaze on God. Remain true to the Lord with all your heart. You see, biblical encouragement doesn't call us primarily to our circumstances or even to ourselves. It calls us to always fix our gaze on God. You see, the problem with platitudes and and talk like that, is that it calls us, it reminds us of our circumstance. Our gaze is constantly being fixed on our circumstance. It's always fixed on what we don't have. The problem with the pep talk is that oftentimes it calls us to have faith in ourselves. And so you hear it in the classic, you know, some of the things that, that are said in some circles, like, but I don't know, I don't know why things are happening, but I have faith in my faith, Shaq. My faith will work for me. And I'm like, what is that? How can you have faith in your faith? Or you believe, I believe in my belief. But biblical encouragement is neither of those things. It doesn't focus on our circumstance. It doesn't focus on ourselves. It calls us to focus on God. And the third thing Barnabas does is that he deploys the people for ministry. And verse, verse 25 contains this very important fact. He says, Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. And so for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. And the disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. 
So Barnabas sees the grace of God at work, great thing. He calls the people to focus on God, another great thing. But he doesn't just stop there. He realizes very quickly what he couldn't do. He realizes very quickly that there was so much to be done here that he couldn't do it alone. And so what does he do? He goes down to Tarsus to find a partner in the person of Paul and brings him back. And together they equip the people of God by teaching them and releasing them for ministry. Now the timeline of this event is 13 or 14 years after the Holy Spirit had fallen on the people in Acts chapter 2. Right? So and we see Barnabas already featuring in chapter 4. So Barnabas is really, really an old timer. He's an OG in the early church. And he could have done what a number of us would do, right? He could have either decided, I've been rolling in these circles long enough. After all, they sent me. It was me the, the apostle sent. And so he could have decided to stay there alone and teach alone. Or he could have realized that, oh, there's this, there's this brother that I even brought into the church a few years ago. And I said, okay, Paul, come and be my boy. I will do the main work. You will be helping alongside. But what does he do? He doesn't do that. He realizes that the mission of God is bigger than building his own platform. And so he calls a capable leader. He's not threatened by the person of Paul. He's not threatened by the giftings of Paul or the revelations that God has given to Paul. He brings Paul alongside and he says, I can't do this alone. There is so much to be done here. And he brings on along. And together they release the people of God for ministry. And so biblical, biblical encouragement always does these three things. It always observes God's grace at work in the hearts of people, in the lives of people. It always calls people, regardless of what God is doing already in their lives, to focus again and afresh on what God can yet do through them. And it always seeks to release and deploy people for the mission of God. And when, when Barnabas does these three things, what happens? Antioch becomes, we realize as we go through the story of Acts, the, the book of Acts, Antioch becomes a place where the gospel advances. Paul makes all his three major missionary journeys from Antioch. In chapter 13, in chapter 15, in chapter 18, all his three major uh, missionary endeavors to the other parts of the Roman world, Paul does through the church in Antioch. Why? Because the son of encouragement gave biblical encouragement to the people of God, and God was able to do great things through that church. And how was Barnabas able to do this? How was Barnabas able to unleash the people of God by just encouraging them? Verse 24 tells us, he says, he was full of the Holy Spirit and faith. He was full of the Holy Spirit and faith. And all over the book of Acts, we find this language of filling, being filled by the Spirit, being empowered supernaturally by the Spirit. In chapter, in chapter 2 of Acts, we find that when they were filled with the Holy Spirit, they spoke in tongues. And many of our friends, many of our Christian friends that we know, this is all they really think about when it comes to um, um, being filled with the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit just helps you speak in tongues. But we find in the book of Acts that it actually even goes beyond that. In chapter 5, after they have been oppressed by, by the government authorities, what did they do? We are told that they come together and they pray and ask God for boldness. And we are told that they are filled with the Holy Spirit and they go out and speak the word of God with boldness and with power. In chapter 6, when they're looking for people to serve in the church, to serve tables, to distribute food, 
They're looking for people who are going to hand out bread during the, um, the services on Sunday. What did they do? They looked for people who were filled with the Spirit. And friends, we are going to be the kind of people, again, that we find God using us to encourage one another, to strengthen one another, to, to unleash people for ministry. We have to be a people who are filled with the Spirit. And this is particularly true for us because we live in a city where it's easy to get discouraged. It's easy to get discouraged when you realize how early you have to wake up, how far you have to travel to work, and how little remuneration you get at the end of the day. It's easy to get discouraged when you find that there are people who are cutting corners at work. They're not working the way you're working. They're not serving the way you're serving. They're not thinking about God the way you are thinking about God, and they get far in their career path than you do. It's easy to get discouraged when we realize that, God, I've been faithfully serving you, and I'm advancing in years, and I haven't gotten married. I keep getting no's from all the ladies, and all the guys aren't looking my way. It's easy to get discouraged. And it's easy to engage, particularly in our city of Lagos, where this, the, the, the narrative arc of, of our culture is progress, where you see people constantly on their WhatsApp status, on their Instagram page, an Instagram story, on Twitter, hashtag bless. And you're wondering, God, when am I going to be blessed? I haven't put my hand on the, on the back of somebody's Benz. It's not my Benz, but I'm sure I bless her because... <laughs> and it's easy to get discouraged. What would God do if we became a people, a community where we were filled with the Spirit? And in being filled with the Spirit, God gives us words to speak per time to the people in our community, to the person who is frowning, and God gives you a word to, to speak to that person in their circumstance, and they observe, you observe the grace of God at work in their life. And because of that, God releases them again for ministry afresh. What would happen if God makes us a community where we speak charitable words to one another, encouraging each other, and God releases us for ministry. I've been talking with someone recently, battling with um, some kind of sin, and the person usually gets discouraged. And I have to remind the person again, like, yes, this thing is there, we're still wrestling against it, and we should keep wrestling against it, but you have to remember where you are coming from and how God's grace has brought you. Amen. This thing used to happen to you like every day before. Now, by God's grace, it happens to you only once a week. That is the grace of God. Amen. And there are many people around us here that by God's grace, yes, you don't come to church on every Sunday. You should be coming to church every Sunday. But God's grace is still at work in your life. I saw how you spoke to that person. I saw how you encouraged that person. Friends, we can't be this church. And this is what God is calling us to today. What would happen if God raised among us not just one son of encouragement, Barnabas, but many sons and daughters of encouragement who observe the grace of God, who ask people to focus on God, and who together deploy the people of God for ministry. But we see again that 
there is one son of encouragement, and because of what God is doing with this one son of encouragement, there arises a people of mercy. So the story gets more interesting in verses 27 to 30. And I like, sometimes the Bible can be, can be, can be humorous in the way it writes things. We're told that some prophets come down from Jerusalem, like some guys came down from Jerusalem. And one of them is giving a predictive word. And he prophesies by the Holy Spirit, like, in a few years, there will be a famine across the Roman world. Full stop. That was all of the prophecy that the person gave. And I don't know about you. If somebody comes to this church, we all know that this person is filled with the Holy Spirit and says, brothers and sisters, I feel very strongly that the Lord says that there will be a famine in Nigeria in the next two years. And this famine will spread across West Africa. I'm telling you what I'm going to think. I'm going to say, wow, praise God for City Church. Praise God for you, Pastor Femi. I, 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 I've been really blessed staying here. But I feel a strong call to Canada. <laughs> I feel like there is a death of gospel witness, and the Lord needs some of us to go and pioneer something new there. In fact, I am willing to name it City Church Canada. <laughs> And the first thing we're going to be thinking about is self-preservation. How do I get out of Nigeria and West Africa? In fact, Africa, self, because it can spread. <laughs> or if you are someone that you realize, man, I don't have the educational qualifications and the connections and the money to get out of Nigeria. How can I buy food and stock my house and our store for the next five years so that when this thing happens, I won't be caught unprepared. But the shocking thing is that the people in Antioch do neither of those two things. Their reaction when they receive that prophetic word is not to say, ah, Agabus, I see you. You came from Jerusalem to tell us that there will be a famine in Jerusalem, in Judea, sharp guy. I'm not buying it. That is not how they react. Rather, they take that word and they say, how can we as a people not even thinking so much about ourselves, our self-preservation, even though that would have been a perfectly legitimate thing to do. How can we as a people come alongside our brothers and sisters in Jerusalem in this time of need? And so we're told that each one, in verse 29, the disciples, as each one was able, decided to provide help for the brothers and sisters living in Judea. And this they did, sending their gift to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. And so they realized that when God calls us together as a family, he doesn't just call us to look out for one another in words. That's a great thing. He doesn't just call us to look out for one another in prayer. That's a great thing. But he also calls us to look out for each other by showing mercy. And you may be thinking, eh, but that's generosity, not mercy. Like, they just shared their resources, right? That's, they were just being generous. And that's true. It was an extremely generous action. But we find in the Bible that generosity is the overflow of a heart that is steeped in the grace and mercy of God in Christ. Generosity is the overflow of a heart that is steeped in the grace and mercy of God in Christ. An interesting thing about this was that it says in verse 29 that the disciples, as each one was able, meaning that even in that church, they had their needs. If it says as each one was able, it means that 
like we say, not all fingers were equal. Even though this was a church that was well off than Jerusalem, there were still those in that church who were more prosperous than others. But he says, it, it never became an excuse for those who were not as prosperous as others not to be generous, not to show mercy to their brothers and sisters in need. And sometimes the way we think about mercy and, and showing an acts of mercy is that we think, well, it's for those who are actually better off, those who are richer, those who have a six-figure salary. But he says, no, no, no. In this passage, he says, as each one was able, decided to provide help for their brothers and sisters. Why? Because their hearts has been steeped in the grace and mercy of God in Christ. And we see this all over the Bible, that when your heart overflows with the grace and mercy of God in Christ, you cannot help but show mercy to your brothers and sisters. In Acts chapter 4, 33 and 34, it says, The grace of God was so powerfully at work in them. How? How do we know that the grace of God was powerfully at work in them? There were no needy persons in their midst. In chapter, in chapter 9, we're told the story of a woman named Dorcas who, who did great works of charity. And that, and that word charity there can also be rendered mercy, can also be interpreted as mercy. And how was, she, how was she showing mercy to people? She was sewing clothes for widows. She was making things for them, relieving their distress, relieving their circumstances. In 2 Corinthians 8, Paul says that the people gave themselves first of all to God, and then they gave themselves to us. And the reason why many times our hands and our actions are so, we're so tight-fisted in showing mercy to people is because we have not recognized how much the grace of God, how much God has shown us grace and mercy in Christ. And maybe you're not a Christian here and you're thinking, there's nothing special about that. There's nothing special about showing mercy to people. Like, we should all be generous. We should all, we should all show mercy to people around us. And that's true. But Christianity is the one religion where our God shows us mercy, not just in forgiving us of our sins, but in sending himself, his son, to die in our stead and show us great mercy. And out of that mercy that we have received from God, we are called to show mercy to others. In fact, in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4 and 5, Paul says that God, being rich in mercy, forgave us our sins. And it is by grace that we have been saved. And so God calls us to be a people of mercy, people who show mercy to those around us. And I thank God that this is happening in some measure here, in, in different ways here. Our church has a mercy ministry, and by God's grace, because of that mercy ministry that is headed by um, Brother Yemi, Uncle Yemi, Yemi, um, we have been able to raise support for lots of people in our church, members who are going through, members and attendees who are going through difficult and tough times. I know a sister in this church who for more than three months now has been providing lunch to some people in our church on almost a daily basis. Not because this person is rich, not because this person is well off, but because this person has chosen to be an avenue through which God's mercy and grace is shown to other people. There's a family amongst us who have taken it upon, ourselves, upon themselves to outrageously give to the needs of others within and outside the church because they realize that the grace of God, the mercy of God shown to them in Christ compels them to do so. And there are many others of us here as well who time and space and even because 
you just don't want the attention to be called to yourself already doing this. And I praise God for that. But is it possible that God is actually calling us as a church to do more? Not just to think in terms of the leftover of, of our self-preservation. Not just to think in terms of, okay, after I have saved all this food and money for myself, anticipating the famine to come, what is left there that I can give to others? Rather, God calls us to be like the church in Antioch. Because their hearts were steeped in the grace and mercy of Christ, they were able to show mercy to those who were not even with them at the time, but who were in a deep and dire need of mercy. You see, the mercy of God is the kind action of God in Christ that keeps us from what we deserve. It keeps us from what we deserve. And so one way some of us are familiar with the parable of the unforgiving servant in Matthew chapter 18, one way Jesus talks about the action of the servant who doesn't forgive, he says in verse 33, Should, shouldn't you have shown mercy on your, to your fellow servant just as I had shown mercy to you? He describes the fact that this guy did not forgive the other person as a lack of mercy. And oftentimes when we think, when we are tight-fisted in releasing the things that God has given us, we are people who are not showing mercy. And God calls us to be a people who are showing mercy. Why? Because he has shown us mercy in the person of Christ. But then the last thing we also see in this passage is that our God is a God of grace. We see this as our third point. And it's really interesting, and, and it's actually possible to read this story, the story of the church at Antioch, and think, wow, Barnabas was a great guy. The people at Antioch were great people. We should be like them. End of story. But if that is all we get from this passage, we will be missing a great reality. Why? Because the central character in the story of Antioch and the story of Barnabas is God. And if you look at our passage this morning, you will see it again and again. In verse 20, it says that they were spreading the good news of our Lord Jesus Christ. In verse 21, it says the Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. In verse 23, it says he saw what the grace of God had done. In verse 24, it says a great number of people were brought to the Lord. In verse 28, it says Agabus made a prediction through the Spirit. And we find God at work all over this story today. And, it's as, and it is as though God is calling us again as fresh, that if we are going to be the people who are encouraged, uh, encouraging others, if we are going to be a people who are showing mercy to others, we have to be a people who lean afresh again upon God. The God of grace, the God who shows grace to his people. And what is this grace? You see, the word grace, um, the word gift, rather, um, is the English word for charisma, which is gotten from charis, which is grace. In other words, the gifts of the Holy Spirit are the products of God's grace to us. And his grace, grace really means an undeserved or unmerited action. And so when the Bible tells us that God has given us gifts, he's saying God has given us grace to serve, to do the things he has called us to, to equip one another and to be deployed for mission. 
And the Bible tells us actually that the place where we find this grace of God most displayed is in God calling a people to himself, purifying them through the blood of his son, and empowering them by his Holy Spirit to be faithful for mission. I don't know about you, but God could have, sometimes it, it boggles my mind that God could have used different means to fulfill his mission. God could have raised up stones to be crying out. God could have, like, turned, written in the sky or something, could have written on a wall, could have appeared to people, but rather, what does he do? He calls a people to himself, purifies them by the blood of his son, and gives, and gives them graciously so that they can call people to himself and point to him. And so we find Jesus saying this again in Acts chapter 1, verse 4 and 5. He says, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gifts my father promised you, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And for as many of us as are Christians here this morning, God has gifted us with his Holy Spirit. But he wants to fill us again and afresh. So that what happened in Antioch doesn't just stay in Antioch, but what happens in Antioch happens here today. Amen. That God will be pleased to raise up many sons and daughters of encouragement, observing the grace of God, calling us to focus again afresh upon the grace of God, and deploying one another for ministry. God wants to again do what he did at Antioch, where there are people who not only think about themselves and how they can preserve their own levels of income, preserve their own, preserve the status quo, but are thinking about how they can show mercy to others in their suffering. And if you're not a Christian here this morning, this same God of grace is here offering you his grace in accepting his forgiveness through the blood of his son who was shed in your stead. Well, if you are a Christian here, God offers us this same grace this morning, calling us to be partakers of what he seeks to achieve, not just in Antioch, but in Lagos as well. We have often said that, or rather the, uh, the vision of City Church is to catalyze a gospel center movement that renews the city of Lagos spiritually, socially, and culturally. We all know that. And sometimes it's possible for us to think that Yes, God is going to do it through the people that are preaching. God is going to do it through the people that have really extraordinary gifts. People can speak and communicate well. That is true. But God also wants to do it through the people who are speaking in words of encouragement, using the gift of encouragement to serve. God wants to do it through people who are showing mercy to others as well. So that what happened in Antioch, Antioch being the place where gospel-centered advancement happened throughout the Roman Empire, that God might be pleased to do it again through City Church. I call you today to dream about what God can do, not just to the people who are speaking from up here, but people who are speaking from down there as well. People who are speaking to one another, calling out, observing the grace of God in one another's lives. In our GCs, what could God do if we became a place where we were speaking words of encouragement to one another? Saying, yes, I see how you led us today. It was a bit one kind, but it was great. God was helping you. You, you spoke to my needs. 
Or if you called someone aside and said, hey, I, I see what you did there. I know what you were trying to do, but it didn't really come out well. Maybe you should try it this way. Observing the grace of God at work in people's lives. Or what if we called someone aside, called someone to journey along with them and say, hey, I'm committed to you for the next one year. I want us to meet together, to talk together, and to discuss about what challenges you are facing in life. And let's see how God can help us accomplish and achieve what you want to achieve. What would God do if we became a people who were not just thinking about, yes, I have to give. If I don't give, they will ask me. But thinking about how we can actively show mercy to people around us. Not only in our abundance, but also sometimes in our lack as well. This is what God can do through us. And he invites us this morning to partake in this grace. And I'll ask us to bow down. Thank you for listening to the Gospel in Lagos. We pray you've been blessed by this message. To learn more about City Church, visit www.citychurchlagos.com City Church, love Jesus, love people, love Lagos.